Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we go to Nashville, Tennessee, to talk to Courtney Brablick, who is the executive director of the store, and we're going to find out more about that in just a minute. So, Courtney, tell us about your education. Where did you go to school? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't usually talk very much about my educational background because I am a twice-college dropout. <laughs> I attended a small Bible college in the middle uh, 1990s. Um, I was studying to be a secondary English education major. And about halfway through, after failing a bulletin board class, I kind of realized that this was not actually the direction my life needed to go into. And so that's when I left higher education. Okay, so you are street educated. I am experienced by life. Okay, terrific. So tell us about your work experience. I have a really diverse background uh, work experience wise. I grew up in a family business that was retail oriented. Um, It was an agriculture business. Um, So I literally started paying taxes at seven years old. Don't recommend that for everyone. I don't think that's legal anymore actually. But that was where I developed, uh, you know, my understanding of customer service and customer oriented, uh, you know, work. Uh, From there, I went into uh, professional food service. Um, Eventually, I was a pastry chef for about 10 years. I worked a lot in um, what would be like an academic style of food service. So I worked for a couple of universities. Um, and then went into some smaller uh, private businesses that were, you know, foo-foo high-end pastry. Um, and I took a little bit of a break. I was a stay-at-home mom for about eight years. So high-intensity managerial experience with very little pay. Um, and then I went back to work for Amazon, and I started out uh, on low-level associate work and uh, worked my way up through with the company into management uh, in the sortation and logistics end of things. That's exciting. And now we get to the store. How did you get involved in the store? Oh, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I had just taken a a promotion actually with Amazon. It was a very, very uh, generous promotion. Very excited about it. Um, and we were heading into peak season, so all of the holiday rush. And I opened up an email, and it was um, it was an article about the store and the fact that they were looking to staff a free grocery store here in the Nashville area, and that the um, focus of this particular type of food service was addressing food insecurity for families in a way that provided additional supports to help break cycles of poverty. And um, that really caught my eye because that is a little bit different than the normal programming that you see with food pantries or uh, nutritional insecurity programming. Um, And that meant a lot to me. It really struck a chord with me because I had also, um, you know, in the course of being a single mom had experienced um, 
food insecurity in providing for my family. And so knowing the difference between uh, what it felt like to utilize those services versus uh, having additional supports to come along and kind of help break that cycle really struck a chord with me and I could not help myself. I had to kind of send a, a resume in. I was interested. They were looking for an operations manager at the time. And uh, within two days, uh, they gave me a call. We sat down, we had a meeting. And uh, a couple hours after that, they gave me a call and said, hey, listen, we know that you applied for the operations position. What we would really like you to consider is if you have an interest in the executive director position. And um, that kind of got the ball rolling into the position that I'm in now. So that would be two years this month. Wow. Who interviewed you? So the board at the time um, had, uh, well, I had three different individuals who were present during my initial interview. So the board president at the time, Megan Zarling, uh, the vice chair, John Shario, and then um, Janie Day, who had recently retired from Second Harvest after 30 years of uh, leading here in the Middle Tennessee region, uh, addressing food insecurity issues. So she is, um, she's a giant in this field. It was, you know, just hearing her name after seeing her name on various letters from, from Second Harvest all of these years, and then to get to meet her in person and, and have a real conversation with her. She has just been a champion in this, this area of programming for many, many years. So what is your job? My job, essentially, because we are a new organization and we uh, have only four staffers that are full-time um, on site. My job is a little bit about formulating the bones of the organization because we are new, but it's also being the chief development officer. So I juggle back and forth between what are the concrete structures of how we run this organization and then how do we fund it? Okay. And what do you do? What's the purpose of the organization? You've kind of referred to it a little bit, but uh, how do people come and use the store? So the store, um, the best way to describe it is imagine a small grocery store in your neighborhood and then imagine that everything in it is free. And that is the best way to describe what it is that we do. We, uh, as an organization, initially started in conjunction with referral agencies, which were other organizations and uh, local nonprofits here in the Nashville and Middle Tennessee region. Um, and those referral agencies would then identify families who were facing food insecurity issues, which was outside of their programming. And they would refer them to us. We would take on those, those families as customers and they would come and shop with us. What ended up evolving in the programming was the fact that the pandemic hit our area four days after we opened our doors. And so what we initially thought would be, okay, we'll, we'll try to service and supply for 100 families who had, you know, were clearly at the poverty level and were clearly looking to um, find 
uh, ways of becoming self-sufficient again. Our, that was our goal, 100 families for that year. Um, and instead, what we needed to address was that uh, a vast majority of the Nashville population was now unemployed or underemployed. Um, and, you know, children were at home because of virtual learning, and that reduced families' ability to access food through, through programming at school. And so we needed to just kind of reevaluate what it was that we were doing and how many people we were serving and, and how to go about that. And so... Um, Generally what happens is a family will come to us, um, they're met at the door by a greeter who will direct them to our intake desk. Our intake program coordinator will take some, uh, some basic information, uh, proof of ID, um, a little bit about your household, how big it is, how many kids are in the home, if there are kids, uh, what your employment status is, and then some documentation about where you are financially so that we can so that you can display needs so that we have that on file. And from there, you grab a grocery cart and you go shopping. Um, and it, it really is just like a, a corner grocery store. We're not huge. We can't carry everything. Um, but we do try to cover the essentials, the pantries essentials. And then we also are a little bit different from uh, most food programming in the fact that we have fresh produce, um, coolers and freezers. We're able to carry fresh things um, and supply our families with those on a regular basis. And then um, on top of that, uh, thanks to the generous support of, of various donors, we also try to carry a little bit of pet supplies so that your family pet is not going without and um, household cleaning supplies and toiletries. So we try to be both one-stop shopping, but also, you know, being realistic about what it is that we, we can supply. So Courtney, where do you get these supplies? Do you buy them or are they donations or a combination? It is a combination of those two things. Um, people are often surprised to find out that all of the food that we have is either purchased or an in-kind donation from a recognized uh, vendor. And we do that because we wanna make sure that what we're offering people is the freshest um, food available, the most nutritionally dense, so a high portion of our programming cost is actually for the purchase of food goods. We do purchase from Second Harvest, but we also purchase from vendors uh, in the area like Cisco and Fresh Point. And we work with local farms that supply us with uh, local organic produce. Um, we do not take uh, food donations from individuals. Um, we find that it just works out in terms of um, addressing the dignity issues of food insecurity, what we want our customers to know is that they are not in any way, shape, or form less than anyone else. And, and that has to do with the way that we uh, supply them with food. So it's not the, the dented cans out of somebody's pantry that expired two years ago. Um, we we want to provide families with solid nutritional um, goods. And then when it comes to the toiletries and the diapers and the pet food, those sorts of things are donated either by companies or they are donated through our Amazon wish list um, by our supporters. Um, they can go on anytime and look for Heaven South Inc. or the store, and they'll see a wish list there. And it's, you know, toiletries and shampoo and deodorant and 
diapers and formula, the sorts of things that we can't really purchase um, through, a, through a localized recognized vendor. So are the Paisley family active in terms of what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, they are very hands-on. They have come down and helped us with, you know, th they jump in and take volunteer shifts as well. Um, it's, it's very important when having um, celebrity founders in an organization to be able to get people to understand that there's a balance in their involvement. Some people wonder why we can't just be solely funded by that. Well, legally you can't. <laughs> we, are, we are a recognized 501c3. There are tax limitations and rules in, in terms of who funds it and how. Um, and so that's not a possibility. That's why we seek donations from other organizations and, and foundations. Um, but in terms of their involvement personally, first of all, they're on the board. So they get my, my monthly updates. Um, and then they, they come down and volunteer whenever they have a chance, um, you know, but they do have careers. And so it's a juggle between those two things. So you talked briefly about volunteers. How important are volunteers to what you're doing? Oh, volunteers are just critical to uh, our ability to serve. And so we, um, and it's, it's also critical in terms of being able to keep a balanced budget economically. Um, they are, they are critical to us being able to put the money towards the food goods, keeping the lights on those sorts of things. Um, the, if you, if you think about a volunteer who comes down and, and serves a four hour shift and let's say that they would be making $15 an hour. If I were paying a staffer, or in, in our case, uh, there's seven volunteers that come on for every shift, let's say four or five shifts a week. If I were to be putting those, those monies towards having to pay a staffer, we wouldn't be able to serve as many people as we do right now. So they are, they are critical to our success and also critical to the customer shopping experience because they're individuals that are right here in the neighborhood. Um, they serve either because they have that opportunity to and that time and they feel you know that it's critical it's important for them to give back to their community or because they have experienced these these needs themselves and they want to be involved and give back and and that's where their heart is um but either way you know those smiling faces those people that are bagging the groceries those people that are stocking the shelves those people that are making conversation with our customers at the register are, are critical to the way that this programming works. I know some organizations actually calculate those uh, volunteer hours and dollars mm -hmm. and put them as a footnote in terms of their financial statements. Yes, so we have been working on that. Um, part of what I kind of glossed over um, initially in our conversation was the fact that we opened our doors March 12, 2020. And then four days later had to completely reevaluate all of our programming options because they didn't address the need that, you know, was now happening because of COVID. So for 18 months, our organization did not function under the uh, original model that we had hoped to, to, to operate under. And we have only been able to open our doors and serve customers inside the store and let them shop the way that we had intended 
uh, July 1st of this year. So for 18 months, our volunteer base were the individuals that were coming in and helping us unload trucks and helping us bag groceries and then taking them out and delivering them to the 450 households that we were supplying um, our elderly population that was in need. And then additionally, the 350 families that were shopping curbside and, and picking up their groceries. That's an incalculable amount of energy and dedication from a volunteer base that just answered the call and didn't necessarily know what they were getting into, but then continued to show up week after week. So um, they have been very fluid with us in the fact that we had to change our, our model of operations. Uh, but now that we are in store, yes, it is a little bit easier to calculate those hours and, and show the way that the labor hours um, that they have volunteered and given us um, is critical to our success. Yes, I can believe that. What about partnerships? How important are partnerships? Oh, uh, wow. We are just, we are incredibly grateful for the number of organizations that come up alongside us um, and either partner with us to uh, supply us financially because, I mean, we can't, we can't gloss over the fact that cash makes the world go round and, and dollars, you know, are, are what it is that we need first and foremost, just to be able to get things done. And we have organizations that, that come alongside us and say, we were going to give financially. And we understand that in order for programming to be successful, we need to take the controls off of how you spend this money because you know best how you need to spend it. And if that means that you need to bring on an additional staffer in order to make this programming successful, you know, we're, we're taking our hands off. We trust you. We, we trust your judgment. And, you know, we look forward to your report at the end of the year. That's fantastic. That is the best kind of funding because that allows us to make the decisions that we need to and be fluid. But then there's partnerships that come alongside and they are able to support our programming through in-kind donations, uh, through the resources that they have. And that is critical too, because that means that that's money that we don't have to spend. Um, for items that we may not have been able to purchase on our own. Um, and so those those types of partnerships are are just, you know, it's a balance. In, in everything is a balance. It is. So let me get you into a little visioning mode. Okay. Where do you see this organization three years from today? Are there going to be more stores? in more communities? Are you going to expand the existing store? Where's it gonna be in three years? Well, I think, um, first of all, what we've seen um, as we sort of clear out from the pandemic, um, that there's never going to really be a decrease in the need for servicing for families who are trying to feed their families and find financial security. Um, so, in terms of demand, the only, you know, the only option really is to be able to expand. Um, one of the things within the food uh, access area of nonprofit work is the ability for people to actually get to a location to get food. So transportation is a major issue. Um, and so as we look at our Middle Tennessee area, Davidson County, Nashville, uh, we do see that it would be, um, I think, in the best interest for our organization to find a way to do a secondary location here 
there are aspects of our of our organization again that are are young and new, and we would like to be able to really work out the kinks in that programming and do it on a local level um, to really see how that that synergy works with our board member and our community leaders um, in addressing food insecurity here, and then being able to take that data and that information and look at, at a national level how we can expand this programming. Um, and uh, in a lot of ways, when we look at the national side of things, what we look at is um, how can someone else step in and replicate this program in their community? Food is regional. Um, and so the way that people access food and the kinds of foods that they need are also regional. And so it's critical for the success of uh, helping families for us to get down on that level. And, and that requires a partnership with people who are familiar with that community who want to address food insecurity in a new way. So it sounds to me like social franchising. Yes. It's, 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 uh, we it's, are it's, also it's, looking at trademarking as well and trying yes. to figure out a way to, because we do have to address the fact that there's a brand involved here. Um, and with having a national recognition of our organization, we want to make sure that the messaging um, stays the same wherever we are as, as consistently as possible. So that when people see the Apple and the store, they recognize that this is, there's a certain way that we're trying to address the needs of the community. But you are a social franchise or yes. a social enterprise. Yes. And social yes. franchising is a next step to expand because that way you don't have to manage it all. You get people to you use your operations manual, mm -hmm. you provide that to them, and then you provide mm -hmm. coaching and you charge yeah. a fee for all of that. <laughs> and then you expand without having to manage it yourself. Yes, because the overhead costs that go into having a national organization are, are quantifiably, obviously exponentially quite a bit different. We call that operations manage or manual that we're, that we're building right now, we call it the Lego kit. And the reason that we call it that is, again, when we go back to the regional uh, issues that a community is facing, you wanna be able to take the foundation blocks, the real key pieces and build them into the community that exists in a way that makes the most sense for them because you know, even, even our model is based off of an idea that's out in Santa Barbara called the Unity Shop. Unity Shop has an entirely other geographic base and, and population that they're working with. And so when Brad and Kim looked at that model and brought the idea, the concept, it was the core ideas, but reassembled in a different way that made the most sense for the Nashville community. So if there's an organization that, you know, wants, or if there's a group that wants to take this concept and build it in New York or Houston or Atlanta, they're going to want to reconfigure those blocks in a different way that makes the most sense for the community that they are, are, you know, trying to work with. How about homeless people? Do you deal with that market? At yes, all? absolutely. I mean, um, in the South, especially, uh, you're always going to have a higher homeless population just because of weather. I mean, um, we, our programming is not as focused on homelessness. 
Um, and that's why uh, we work a little bit more directly in referring them into other agencies that can address their needs. Um, but that's not to say that we do, you know, that we don't have a group that we are are feeding and, and um, you know, nobody comes to us and, and walks away empty handed. Um, and so some of, you know, we want to make sure that we're addressing it, but also recognizing that we can't um, save everyone. And so it's important to work with other nonprofits that have that staffing and that programming in place and have an expertise in that area and the way to best help that individual. Well, Courtney, the, the amazing thing to me is you're passionate. You really enjoy what you're doing. Yes. And uh, you've got an amazing website, which I think you have to tell everybody about the website. So we are at thestore.org. Um, and I appreciate your feedback on the website, but it's actually going to be changing soon. Uh, we are going to be uh, updating it uh, now that we're in our, our model of operation. And uh, so you'll be able to find new ways to get involved. You'll find new ways to uh, learn about our programming, um, new ways to access information about us. Um, and for individuals who are interested in giving, um, or, or volunteering, there'll, there'll be uh, an increase in information there, along with, you know, pictures of our, our actual store instead of the uh, artist renderings that we've had up there for a couple of years. Well, that's, that's very exciting. Well, look, we're going to let people become aware of who you are and what you for do. Sure. And uh, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Thank you, Peter.